standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Well, my guest this week was first noticed by the WWE back in 2004. And despite facing numerous obstacles along the way, he would make it to the top among the elite in the WWE. In total, he would spend 12 years with the company, and what an incredible roller coaster ride it would be for the man known simply as the big guy, Ryback Reeves. Ryback, welcome to Primetime. I'm glad we finally got to do this. No, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and doing some interviews here, so I'm looking forward to seeing what we talk about. Yeah, well, I tell you, you're a, you're a busy man. You got a lot going on, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to I want to talk about you know paying your dues uh, as this this new generation does. But before we even get into that. I want to talk about, you know, where it really all began and uh, growing up in Las Vegas. And a lot of people think, you know, they think of Vegas, it's this, you know, know, Sin City, the Strip, but it's a regular town. I mean, I grew up in Tucson and they're very similar in a lot of ways. What was it like growing up in Vegas? Like you just said, very normal. But I think, too, you know, there is the whole what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I think that, you know, on the Strip, I think that's a whole other world. Yeah, over there. But I think outside of that, it, it Vegas is just like anywhere else. And but except for you know, there's slot machines and the Seven Elevens and the gas stations, and um, there's random you know neighborhood right. casinos and whatnot and bar and grills. But it's just like everywhere else outside of that. And uh, I had a very normal childhood here, and um, just I remember it actually was a blessing for me. I, I don't gamble because I remember I have fond memories in my head of. Not fond. I just seeing people um, sitting at the slot machines when I'd go into the Seven Eleven on my way to school or after God. school, and they looked miserable. And so I just associated gambling with being miserable at a young age. Thank God, and I've never had an addiction or any desire to to, to get caught up in that lifestyle. Yeah, that's a damn good thing too, because you're right. You, know, you walk through those. I, I just one thing I just can't stand is going through. Uh, you know, those, uh, those lobbies with the cigarettes and the, yeah. you know, I just don't know how people can do it. And, uh, you know, we're I was just up there for double or nothing. And, and, uh, thank God the hotel they were staying at had no casino and it was just like, yeah, I no, told Conrad, a, thank you. Thank you, you walk into that smoke, man. It's some casinos have, uh, I think are a little stricter on it than others. And it, it's, uh, I don't like it myself either. I'm not a smoker or anything of that nature. So it's, I try to avoid it. Man, I like, in all seriousness, I avoid that area down there, like the plague. They have some great restaurants and stuff, but if I don't have to go down there, I don't. Yeah. And most people who, who, who live there, they don't. I mean, it's, it's like that, you know, if somebody's got a theme park in town, you know, and you go, okay, 
relatives are in town. We got to take them to the yeah. theme park, Disney, or whatever it is. And it's the same thing. Otherwise, they don't go down there. But but uh, anyway, I mean, growing up there though, were you always a a, a very large super athlete? I, I know you played baseball of all things because you know people would say like he's got a got a been a football player, but. Uh, did the size come later, and, and were, were you a great athlete? Yeah, so I grew up playing soccer and baseball and then got football in, in high school as well and played varsity all four years in high school and baseball. Uh, in in uh, football, I was actually one of, I think, they selected me and one other guy off the freshman team to go up to the varsity team. Uh, to for the, and that our, our, We won state that year, actually, the, our varsity team. But they wanted to bring us up as kind of tackling dummies because we were we were developed enough and we at a level where they thought we would be able to handle it and and, ex- and excelled at that all four years. But I always wanted to play baseball because I come from a baseball family. My my uncle Randy St. Clair played in the big leagues his entire entire life, adult life, and pitching coach for the Expos, the the oh. Marlins, uh, for the Marlins and a few other teams. He bounced around a bit and whatnot, but. Uh, and then as I got, I forget what year, my fr- freshman year at uh, CCSN at the time, the junior college here, we were ranked 16th in the country. I had a foot injury and uh, had to redshirt. And I wanted to be a wrestler. And I and I always grew up loving wrestling, but baseball was always just what I was really good at. And it kind of was expected, I felt like, from my family to do that. And my, my dad wasn't really into the, into the whole pro wrestling scene and if I had it on TV, he's like, what are you watching that crap for? And even though he's extremely proud of everything I've been able to go on and, and do, but it was, uh, it was, I started my senior year. I got up to about 235, 240. And uh, I was always, I was as I, in high school. I remember I actually got accused of steroids my sophomore year. I hit my growth spurt between my freshman year and sophomore year. And uh, just, it was one of those things. And I, I became, I fell in love with weight training and whatnot, but, True story, and I'm very open about this. Is I and I'm very, I'm very against steroid use now, and I admit, and I used them from about 20 to 24. Mm-hmm. And the reason I used them, no joke, Sean, was Triple H came in to the Gold's Gym that I was working at. I was 19, almost 20 mm-hmm. at the time. Him and Kevin Nash and Stephanie McMahon came to work out with uh, Charles Glass, and. Uh, I'd heard them talking at the juice bar that they're talking about what they were using. And right then and there that justified in my adolescent mind that it was okay to do steroids to make it and to become a pro wrestler. And (laughs) I, that's why I'm so adamant now about in, in trying to help people doing what I'm doing with my feed me more nutrition that you don't need them. You truly don't. And I commend WWE for the wellness policy, but Pro wrestling used to be a lot different, but that's when I actually really, I went from like 235, 240 to 285 in a matter of months. And, and then after, you know, WWE introduced the wellness program, stopped everything. And I kept, I never did a lot to begin with. I was always very health conscious, even though I was using, I mean, it kind of goes against that, but it was, it wasn't using an extraordinary amount that when I stopped that I just lost all my size. Like it happens to a lot of guys. So but that was that was my you know introduction into that and and where I essentially got as big as I did get eventually. And you must be a hell of a slugger though. Were you when you played baseball? Uh, Home run hitter for sure. Yeah, and uh, man, I used to go down to the. We have a batting cage here in Vegas that actually has the home run fence, 
And uh, I wish I knew what I knew when I was younger. Um, as far as I think, too, man, everything works out for a reason. I kind of went to um, the high school I went to where we didn't have a great baseball team, didn't have a great coach. And I think if I would have, my career would have probably, I probably would have went on to baseball, not even wrestling, had I actually probably had some proper coaching at a young age. I just always kind of figured everything out on my own and did really well. But as I got older, I really learned how to hit home runs. And I'd sit down at the the, the batting cages. We had the, the, the green monster. It's a real field here in Vegas. It, it's the best batting cages I've ever seen. And people would actually gather around and just watch me hit home run after home run and whatnot at those things. And But it just wasn't meant to be with the foot injury and, and whatnot. And I went into pro wrestling. You know, and it uh, seems as though you had these brushes with the WWE, almost uh, your destiny. I think uh, I think you were 12 and, and you yeah. were at some event. And then uh, what was that about? So they, they the World Tour de Force came into town. It was the yeah. WWE live event at the Thomas and Mac. And I was, that was at the, my, my peak of just being just obsessed with pro wrestling and the WWE. Yeah. And a new station, he had to write in a letter that essentially why you should be the one that should be picked to win their grand prize pack and four front row tickets to the event to be the guest bell ringer and meet a superstar of your choice backstage. I wrote this. My mom still has the letter to this day. Uh, just wrote a heartfelt letter. And uh, they they called back and they said it was uh, an easy decision. That was the only letter they could actually feel the love and the passion in yeah. and which – blows me away to this day at a young age just how you know much it meant to me back then and and then i won i think i won sean 20 or 24 tickets on all the radio stations calling answering all these questions there was nothing i didn't know back then and uh so i took the whole neighborhood with me and uh cycled out my friends in the front row and got to be the guest bell ringer for the opening match with uh the body donna's Versus, I believe Barry Horowitz and somebody else. I for, forget. I forgive me, but uh, and Dr. Tom eventually ended up being, you know, a very instrumental trainer for me. So well, that's really amazing. And you know, you're born in '81, so you that that period of time was great. Uh, you know, early '90s there. Yeah, man. And, and who were your guys? Who who were your your faves? Oh man, Razor Ramon, British yeah. Bulldog, Diesel, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. That that whole crew back then. That was. Uh, Man, all of them. It was those. Those were the guys, though, that I really, really gravitated towards. And I remember Razor, though. Razor was number one for a long time. Yeah, he, what a character! Yeah, he really when he came in. Uh, and it is. It's just kind of amazing how things happened for you in your life. And, and I, I talked, you know, at the top here about you know paying your dues. And you know, back in the day, you know, the the old school, I guess we'd call it. You know, you, you'd come up, you'd, uh, you know, find, try and find somebody to train you. And then you would, uh, you know, start appearing in local independent uh, outfits and then maybe catch on and maybe, take, you know, start traveling the territories. It was a process. You, you, you learned about the business and cars, traveling thousands of miles. Hopefully you'd be with these veterans. They'd, they'd teach you. But the new generation, which you were a part of, was a, it was a, a whole different world. Of course, Vince had kind of erased the territories as far as the, what they would exist. There's some independence out there, but it's a, it was a different way to do it. And uh, I wanted to get a little bit more into that today because a lot of people don't really understand uh, how the dues are paid. And believe me, they are. It's just in a different way. Uh, you got an opportunity when they had uh, 
you know, tough enough. Now this yeah. is kind of a way that they, you know, brought talent in and they were, you know, they had kind of developed this minor league, I guess you'd call it. But uh, tell us a little bit about that path and how it happened. And, and I know you said, I think a, a tape, a, a minute long. I mean, yeah. so what was on that in that those 60 seconds and, and uh, tell us about that path. Yeah. So man, it, it's, this is what I, I've always been very open to this and tried and an understanding uh, for talent. I, here's my, what, how I feel about with people in, in with WWE and the current system in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I grew up loving pro wrestling as much as anybody, but I was an athlete and I felt like I could just choose whatever I wanted to choose and I could go do it. Mm-hmm. And I just so happened I chose wrestling and it kind of found me at the time, but you have different levels of this and you have different guys that go into the independence at a young age and, you know, and they struggle and, you know, they, they have a different story. And I think you got to respect everybody's story. But at the end of the day, the thing is, once you get inside those walls and once you step foot and in, in, in the training facilities and, and or the wrestling, wherever you're at, it's right. all about work ethic and how much you apply yourself. And the rest doesn't really matter. It's right. great. And it, every, it's everyone's unique individual story. But my thing, there'd be guys, and I sometimes think sometimes guys that come strictly from the independents uh, have look at they they frown upon people that come into the industry any other way other than that. And I think that's that's a very poor way of kind of of judging people, and that shouldn't be. I think it all matters once you get there how you apply yourself, what how much respect for you you have for it and whatnot. But the anybody that comes through the developmental system, man, you are busting your ass. You're down there. I mean. You can be all there all day long, morning to night. You're still making the road trips. You're driving towns, making, doing, you know, making all the towns and and whatnot. So, and then even today, got today's guys with all the independents. You know, they're making the road trips and things of that nature. And it's all that is still exist. Mm-hmm. It's just it's. I think sometimes they will. They're getting paid to train. I could tell you, they're not making that much money to train, and they'd be better off working a regular job. They'd have more money majority of the time than that. Yes. But it's they they do that. They they have control over the situation now, and it's a way that they can help educate the talent on their system with the way that they're from their scripted promos to everything to how they script the matches. Now it's just kind of a way to organize all that right from the beginning and. Um, as far as the tough enough thing goes, it was a 60 second promo in my dad's kitchen. Um, just simply explaining, and that video is out there, I believe on the tough enough DVD, just, uh, had a full head of hair and I was all jacked up and I just, just said, you know, I spoke from the heart. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a gimmick or anything. I just cut a real promo saying why they should pick me. And I think my physique and the way that I looked at the time and, you know, being six, two and think I was two eighty five at the time, I'm sure that didn't hurt at all for what they were looking for at the time and got me a, a call to go to Venice beach for a tryout. And, um, I had to, it was, it was nothing but work from that point on, but it was a hell of a ride. Yeah. So, uh, but going into that, and and you're not alone in this. You made a really good point about uh, the fact once you once you get that foot in the door, that's great. But you go through that door, all bets are off because uh, thousands. It is. We're not talking hundreds. We're talking thousands of people get invited to these camps and uh, last a day. Yeah. And uh, but as far as you coming into this, had you done any training, or were you, did you just have your athleticism? 
when you just when you just athleticism and coming in and in Sean, I tell everyone this: in order to make it in this, you have to love it. And yeah, and I and I absolutely love it, and I loved it as much as anybody uh, growing up and watching it and whatnot. I just got into it at a little later point, and I actually talked about that with somebody else. I had some issues. It's funny. Like I, I like now, like I love my dogs more than anything. And I remember being younger and never wanting to move away from home because I didn't want to leave my dogs at the time. And it's funny how I look at myself and I've stayed true to who I am. You know, I, I go and I, I loved wrestling, but I didn't want to move away from home to go to a wrestling school because there weren't any in Vegas at the time. And I had these things about me that I, I still love to this day. Like I, I never liked being on the road, but I loved wrestling and I loved entertaining and performing in front of people. But it's, like now, like I love being home and things of that, but it's, um, man, it, it's, you got to have a love for it to succeed at this. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So share some of, uh, of what you went through in that, that tough enough experience that, uh, you know, I think you, you were, you were sick through it. I mean, it, yeah. I, I read your story and just, you know, along the way, man, some of the stuff that you faced and then you had to keep coming back and keep coming back. And this was no exception. Yeah, it was so coming in and with that and Bill DeMott and uh, Al Snow, good cop, bad cop, as yeah. they uh, called each other, in which yeah, I would okay. say, and and they were, who was who, they, they, they traded shifts on that uh, regularly, <laughs> <laughs> on that I could say, but um, man, I, I ended yeah, I'm up getting, I'm sure you could share some Bill DeMott stories. <laughs> yeah, no, no I'm straight up, and I'm very open, I love Bill. Bill, yeah. Bill's the toughest trainer I've ever had. But Bill, I owe Bill a tremendous amount of gratitude um, because the intensity and just the drive that I have as Ryback, um, Bill DeMott really helped me find that and was was extremely hard on me. And uh, he kicked my ass down there and would put me in the ring. And I, I, he expected, they all expected so much of me. And it didn't come right away. And it, Bill wasn't the best at teaching me moves or teaching me psychology. He just, he beat the hell out of me. Um, in a way mentally that I needed that nothing will ever be as hard in my life as what I went through there. And it was a blessing that I got that training with him because he always said, if you can make it through me, this job will be a piece of cake. There'll be nothing as tough as getting through me. And he he just told it straight up and I didn't agree with everything that he did, but he, man, he put an intensity and an aggression to me. And I remember when I actually got called up to WWE and coming back and we ditched the skip Sheffield and after the ankle situation and coming in his Ryback and he was working with me on a lot of my dark matches. And I just remember he just, he, he hugged me and he said, you're going to be a big star. And he, it was an emotional moment, man. And kind of made it all worth it with everything that happened. But it's, uh, that tough enough. I, I had bronchitis, pneumonia. I ended up cracking a rib, broke or broke two ribs on the beginning training because we we all were learning training at the, at the tracks down there at Stanford. <clears throat> and um, one of the guys gave me a suplex and I and I tightened up really bad and came down on my side and we just kept training. I didn't say anything and uh, I made it a lot worse and I got through. I made it pretty far into that being hurt, but it was, uh, man, it was quite the experience early on, and it was a blessing. I didn't I didn't win this show or anything of that nature, but got offered a contract and went down to Deep South Wrestling. And, you know, I grew up with WWE and having to move away from home, drive across country to McDonough, Georgia, and, and go through that mentally, that what Bill put me through. It, it was a lot, 
And like I said, though, in, in the, the guys that did come out from Bill that, that survived me and Miz ended up being doing pretty well for ourselves. And um, yeah, I'm forever grateful for that. And then having, you know, Al Snow and his psychology down at OVW, I think Al, Al is one of the is is phenomenal with his uh, opinion of the business and um, in psychology in general. And a lot of that stuff I actually was taught early on. It didn't. I got fired from developmental and I, I didn't. It didn't sink in right away for me. And it was the first time in my life that something I struggled with. And a lot of that was from Bill. And I can openly say that he pretty he got in my head very early on and put a lot of fear in me and a lot of negativity. But it ended up driving me to becoming the positive person that I am later on. And I'm, everything that happens to me has been for my benefit. And it doesn't always seem like that right away. But they, they instilled a toughness in me, man, that allowed me to succeed at a high, high level when I got to the main roster. Yeah, and, and you would need that toughness. You mentioned yeah. The Miz, and he's another one uh, who uh, had to develop uh, an incredible intestinal fortitude to make it through it. Uh, before we, of course, talk about that journey, though, uh, I, I wanted to ask you more about the, you know, like OVW, uh, and especially about FCW. But a lot of people understand the that that really is, I guess, the the triple A, and uh, and what you learn at, at these uh, at these different organizations and what uh, you know. And I don't know. I know a lot about FCW, but I don't know a lot about OVW. And uh, what was that experience like? No, it was great. And you know, we had training during the week. We would do a promo day, you know, once a week down there, <clears throat> and you know, we had Paul Heyman down there a lot, yeah. and. Uh, when I was there during my time and you, we do, you do uh, weekend shows, you do two or three shows on the weekends and in, within the, you know, the K- Kentucky area, um, Louisville area, Cincinnati, maybe that whole, that whole deal. And you just, you, you just get hands-on experience and you're around some really great wrestling minds and, you know, you get critiqued to no end down there and it's, you just, you just deal with it and, and, you know, I look back and I wish sometimes that I, I, I caught on later on when I, when I went back to FCW and it really actually, once my ankle, I broke my ankle and got called up to WWE is when I fully became obsessed with learning, um, in wrestling. And, uh, at that time I always worked, was always worked really hard and whatnot but i look back and like how i am now and the things i've learned applying myself and i look back i go man i wish you know i would have uh done that or done done this a little different and it's easy to to kind of do that but they man they teach you and they give you the opportunity to succeed down there it's just all how much you apply yourself and 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 try to learn the the craft and be well-rounded in general down there and they, they give you all the tools and the the, the schools have evolved from the HWA to OVW to FCW to now NXT, those guys, you know, in 10 years from now, the school's going to be even better. And they're going to have things that, that NXT guys didn't have. And the system has just progressed at a rapid rate here as far as the, the everything that the guys have to help them become big superstars. So it was a great time, man. And I, and I, I, I loved every minute of it. And you look back, they always said the best times of our careers are probably – going to be the developmental days and and by that it was because once you get up to the main roster and money gets on the line politics really really kick in and the guys you have a camaraderie and and you're closer to the guys down there and it was uh some really good relationships and friendships came from all that 
But what was the difference between the two, uh, uh, you know, organizations? I don't know what they call them, but you know, between o- Ohio Valley and and uh, FCW Florida Championship Wrestling, was it just two different schools, or did they select certain people because they thought they would work better with these guys, or did what? How was the setup of that? I never really understood. Yeah, I, so they they pulled the plug on OVW eventually, and mm-hmm. and they pulled it on Deep South uh, before that, yeah. <clears throat> and they. FCW ended up being Steve Kern's deal. Steve Kern owned the building, and they restarted, you know, the Florida Championship Wrestling territory, and they they brought in Dr. Tom Pritchard, and they just they they brought in a whole new crew, essentially Norman Smiley uh, at the time, and uh, and moved everyone from OVW to FCW, hired more guys. They had a, a bigger school. They had three practice rings and one arena at the place where we would run the shows ovw had the same but we just had the one ring so it essentially it, it became what nxt now is it was just a little smaller yeah. it wasn't it wasn't as nice and they were figuring it out that essentially of getting a factory line of of talents down there where they can kind of groom them to how they wanted and and whatnot but they could bring in you know instead of having 30 guys under contract they could bring 150 in and that increases their odds of, of finding the next big start on there you know with that yeah but i you know uh i'm trying to think of the timing here and when you were there but uh, i i got a chance to pay a couple of visits to fcw when when it was uh you know first up uh, really going along there and i i tell you i just thought it was an incredible place for for uh you know the next guys to come from as an nxt of course it evolved yeah. into but it was this, uh, folks. It was this. It was like a, a professional wrestling university. Uh, you'd go, you know, the, you'd go there, and and they had established the the territory again. I guess you'd call it. They had TV. You guys did TV, and you would learn uh, not just uh, how to improve your wrestling skills, but you know how to know where the hard camera is, yep. how to play in the to the you know the camera. They they had uh, you know how to cut promos. Uh, they had a, basically a drama school. I know Dusty was there. Uh, you know, helping out a lot of the guys. I, I don't know if uh, he was there when you were there, but, yes. you know, like very Briscoe. I mean, you had all these great mentors. And I just thought, like, what? A, this is, you know, a, a well-kept secret in a lot of ways. The WWE uh, kind of knew what they were doing with it. But then, of course, it became this massive thing. But at that time, wasn't it just an awesome place uh, to learn uh, your trade? Absolutely. And that's yeah. you brought up a good point there, like, the, the, that's when they started bringing in the camera crew for hard cams and explaining that stuff of working the cameras. And we'd be instructed to work the hard cam in the arenas, even though there were hardly any fans on the hard cam side. And you get uncomfortable, but it teaches you so that when you do get up to the main roster, that when you know you slap a hold on a guy or a guy, you grab something in your back, you just naturally gravitate to it because yeah. you've been doing it already, and you're not you're not making those mistakes on the main roster. Even though obviously that stuff still happens from time to time, but you minimize the chances of that happening by getting it in your head uh, from the beginning of the way that they want to run their television product and their system. And you know, Dusty Rhodes played a huge part in me getting called up to the main roster. And I'd always been, you know, friends with Cody and I lived with him in, uh, for briefly, um, down in developmental and dusty always took a liking to me and used me very well down there first as Ryback. And then when I became skip Sheffield and then, um, he helped me get called up and used me very well down on Florida championship wrestling and gave me good opportunities down there. And, um, always, 
had great things to say about the promos and very encouraging. And it was just instrumental in having a guy like that with the, the insight that he had. And it, you hear it from all the guys that come there, how much he meant to them. And, you know, he was the one that, that had to relay the news. I had to stop being Ryback and they wanted me to come up with a new silly character um, to kind of, cause I'm sarcastic and like to laugh and have fun. And so I, we came up with Skip Sheffield and he challenged me and I wasn't happy about it at the time. Cause I was dead set. I wanted to be Ryback, which ultimately I got to be, but by becoming Skip Sheffield, that allowed me to get called up to the main roster and stand out. And then Vince eventually said, you're going to ditch this. You're going to make me millions of dollars being yourself. And I went back to Ryback, but it was, man, they, they just, they, they give you all the tools down there to again succeed and, and put you around the right people to where you can learn parts of the business um, so that when you do get up there, you're, you're not asking questions. You just, it's go time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Skip Sheffield. And I told you before we started, uh, you know, Chris Chambers was with the WWE and really a creative uh, mind with that, with the company, but he was down at FCW when, when you were there. And I, uh, I told him I was going to be talking with you, and he, he just texted me and said, great dude. And then he, he, I'm just going to read it to him. He said, ask him about Skip Sheffield. And he, <laughs> he loves Skip Sheffield. And he says, I said, did you help him develop uh, that character? He said, he did it all by himself, was a crazy, lighthearted character. Loved it. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, like you said, you wanted to be Ryback, but... It sounds like you had a lot of fun with that character. Yeah, man. So it was actually, I'll say this. It was the first time that I could, so Skip Sheffield with it was a silly, fun-loving, corn-fed meathead that you didn't want to piss off. And, uh, <laughs> and it's it was very true to my real personality of... Uh-huh. I'm yeah. very friendly. If you meet me, I loving. But if you you make okay. me angry, I, it's very Hulk like, and which I'm trying to learn to control as I'm as I'm growing older and evolving yeah. here, maturing, you maturing exactly. <laughs> and the that time I was always very from, and this goes back to my first year in in Deep South Wrestling. And I was always, and to say this as humbly as possible, I've always been good at anything I've actually ever tried to do. As, as soon as I apply myself, I pick up on things fairly quickly. And wrestling was a real challenge because it would build a mind. And I got very negative early on and fear kicked in and fear controlled me. I was afraid to do things because I'd been ridiculed and I'd get beat up essentially as far as getting run into the ground and just drilling for eight hours a day and boot camp style training and broken down. And so I developed this fear that, and I still had it with me, Sean, when I got rehired, even though I I discovered this, this book, the secret and positive thinking, I still had this fear inside of me to a degree with wrestling and skip Sheffield allowed me. Dr. Tom was again, very instrumental trainer for me. He goes, who cares? Just have fun. Do whatever you want to do. It was the first time somebody had told that to me in pro wrestling, do whatever I wanted to do. And man, that was it. The, 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 the floodgates had opened and I go, I'm going to be the, just the, the dumbest corn fed meathead. And it doesn't matter if I fall on my face. I just started doing things. I never, that I always wanted to do wrestling, but I would get, I would get yelled at if I did a certain move or if I threw a drop kick, I'd get yelled at, don't be doing that shit. And so I just, it, it opened me up to, just having fun. And I was this silly character. So Skip Sheffield could do no wrong, essentially. And people just ate it up down there. And it just it opened me up to how much fun 
pro wrestling could really, really, really be. Had some silly catchphrases and I crowds wherever we went, man, and Dusty always booked me so well. But that really is what just it just opened up the the doors for me to have fun and, and to to let my personality shine and not worry about being judged because that was part of the character it was being stupid. So if somebody thought what I did was stupid, I was it was working. So yeah. you're doing exactly what you wanted to, yeah. and, and and it sounds like it was very liberating. That's something uh, that you would rely on later. But uh, this this road is is a tough one. Uh, for you all along the way and you released it in uh, 2007 i believe and at that point uh where were you and what did you do it sounds like you really had uh, it was a tough time and you had to pick yourself up yeah man i was i had a lot of growing up to do and as far as getting thrown into the real world and supporting myself because like you know and came from just a middle class family like him had a great childhood and didn't have any traumatic experiences or anything like that and like i said uh things have always kind of come easy to me up until that point and i got released and it got dude i got sidetracked by that and everybody down there none of the guys expected that they released three talents the day i got released i think it was seth seth skyfire jack bull who was older Mm -hmm. and myself and I was kind of the shocker on that but I had a very negative mindset like I said because from very I was very scared to put myself out there and just um, really apply myself for fear of judgment from my first year and it was something I had to learn the hard way and ended up you know I got caught up with a living with a girl that had a a two-year-old child in Louisville and had, it was a great relationship actually, but I got kind of sidetracked with raising this child that wasn't mine. And, you know, it was very in love at the time with this woman, great woman Mm -hmm. and working at this restaurant, Smokey Bones. I was, I was afraid to go home, Sean, because I knew if I came back to Vegas, I'd go get a job here at one of the casinos making good money. And I didn't, and I would leave, I know I needed to get back to OVW. That was the best school at the time. And that if I left Louisville, that I would be moving and I'd go back to my dogs. I knew I would find my comfort zone going home. So I had to stay out of my comfort zone and I struggled and working, you know, you know, 50, 60 hours a week at this restaurant and going through a bad breakup with, with, with that woman, because it just, it just wasn't working. And I needed to find that motivation again. And, and Danny Davis down at OVW, you know, actually I'd met with him and, and, just really, truly touched me, just said, he never, he goes, you never should have been released. I'll bring you back. I want to bring you back. You're going to be a big star. You can help us a lot, whatever you need. If you need money to get, you know, this new for Ryback, cause I had the idea for Ryback. Um, I, I came up with that when one night and, and Danny welcomed me back with open arms. And I, I went back and, and started working again and got my footing back and eventually got rehired by WWE and then went back to FCW. But Man, I had a real bad drinking problem with the girl. She she would drink every night, and I would drink with her. And it was the first time I drank hardcore for about a year, and and you know had to give that up and just stopped. It was I was like, okay, I'm done, and just yeah. stopped and and got you know got myself together. But uh, a lot all in all my life, everything that's happened to me, either injuries or these setbacks have been a way for me to really, really evolve my mind and grow as a human being. And, and this experience was no different. And in this, I Luke Gallows actually came into Smoky Bones. 
he was working with uh, Festus as Festus and Jesse at the time. And he was actually working with The Undertaker, getting really good good reviews and good feedback. And he had just read this book, The Secret. Uh, it, again, it's the law of attraction, positive thinking. Right. And he left me a $30 tip and he goes, go buy this book, buddy. He goes, I can't stand to see you like this. He goes, you need to be back where you belong. And I went and bought that book and it, it was the first time it really, I, I go, man, it, it scared me because I'd become so down and so negative and it was my introduction into the way that I always used to think before I got into pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, I, I read that book over and over again. I went and got the DVD and just started reading other Napoleon Hill, thinking real rich. And it kind of just snowballed. And that's really what started my whole journey into self-development and self-knowledge and learning, uh, which I'm obsessed with now. Was that from that period, though, and, and hitting those lows, uh, I, I truly found myself. So, yeah. And, and uh, I guess it was kind of the evolution of, of Ryback. I know you'd had the idea before, but uh, I don't know. I think uh, you said it, it was one night. <laughs> I think a few other elements were involved in it. Yes. Up with it. But, <laughs> but did you develop really at that plan, like a plan that I've, I've got to get back? And it wasn't long. I, you know, I think it was, you know, by the end of 2007, you were, you were back, at least back in the business. Yeah. And that's like I said. So the story of my life is when I set my mind to something, the results happened pretty quick, Sean. So that was one of those things. I I had read the book Terminator two came on one night and uh, had a bottle of Burnett's vodka and a little bit of grizzly chewing tobacco at the time. And uh, the idea of Ryback was born with my you know, born named Ryan and my first wrestling nickname, yeah. Silverback. Yeah. And right then and there with Arnold on TV, who's always been a very influ- influential human being for me. I was just like, I am a, I am a, uh, I set goals, I set missions and I destroy them and I'm done being a loser. And that was the night I just, I, I that was my, my last night being a loser in my head right then. Mm-hmm. I, then I told myself and I went and bought a vision board, a little whiteboard that I still have to this day. And I wrote out all my goals on it for the first time. And I said, I'm going to start holding myself accountable. And uh, everything on that board came true very quickly. And, and on the, the top goal on that was get rehired by WWE. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, that started a whole new chapter that uh, was, was uh, really good for you. And, and you got involved with uh, NXT and that magic that started to happen there with these guys. Uh, it was the, the real change when uh, you guys, when they started bringing you up, and they brought you up as a group, and I, I certainly will never forget that night uh, of Raw in 2010 when you guys all went out and destroyed the ring. That, to me, was, that was a big moment in, in changing, I, I think, a lot of what has happened since with the WWE. Yeah, a magical night. Yeah. And very special for all of us involved. And uh, it was a very real night, Sean. In that Vince and, and Michael Hayes and John Laurinaitis brought us into a room. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were all terrified we were getting sent back to developmental. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's the worst thing. When you spend as much time as all of us had down there, yeah. you want to get out as soon as possible. Because you see a lot of guys, and I'd already been fired being a developmental, so I knew what could happen. And we would got up to the show, and then things didn't work out. And then we went from competing with each other on um, this this whole deal with NXT to then becoming one essentially in one night. And I do. I always say us and the Nexus guys will forever have this bond. Yeah. And I actually got to see Michael Tarver and, and PJ Black, Justin Gabriel here. They were in Vegas a few weeks ago, and we always talk about man. It, it 
we would love, I wish we could have one really good moment back as Nexus together with all of us. Cause I think there's a lot of money in that. And I think a lot of fans would like that, but it's, uh, that was a very, really special night that we were told if we didn't go out there and execute, we would be fired. So then in the, the way that it was received, um, the whole thing just felt, had this very real eerie feeling to it. Um, mm-hmm. especially in the building, looking around at, at the crowd and what had happened. And it was, we got, we got thrown into the fire, man, with that yeah. right away into the main event. And I remember Jericho, he's always just been so straight up and great with me and with all of us. And he just said, guys, enjoy this. This might be the only times in your careers you're working the main event. And, uh, at the time, and you know, I luckily was fortunate enough to have other opportunities and some of you guys, some of the other guys though, that was the only time they were ever in the main event scene and uh, he wasn't lying and, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary time and a, a period I'll forever be thankful to get to work with a lot of those guys. Yeah, and, you know, and you mentioned that, that uh, it was a night and you guys are thinking, what the hell's going on? And if this doesn't work, I, I, I can't even imagine. I got to go back to AAA. And, and yeah. you know, people don't, people don't understand. Uh, a professional athlete certainly would, you know, a major league ball players who ride that that minor league road for years and years and, and never maybe they get a cup of coffee. They get up a couple of times. They think it's going to happen. And there are so many that don't. And that is very true of the WWE. And, all, you know, and I've said this many times. Think of the roster, the number of people that are on that roster. You're talking at any given time. It's always less than 100 or so. Okay, that seems like a lot of maybe that seems like a lot of to somebody. But think about the NFL. Think about how many professional athletes make it in the NFL. How yeah. many slots there are? There are not. When you think about it, it's so minimal. And to be to to make that that roster is is an incredible accomplishment. And a lot never get the chance. No, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that. It's. There's only so many spots. It's, yeah. They're the only, essentially, right now, and with AEW now, it looks like we're going to have a second team, hopefully. But forever, they've been the only team, essentially, where in pro wrestling, where you can go and really make it, you know, at a high level, make it big. And there's only so many spots. And, and for every guy that you see, there's hundreds that don't make it, thousands that don't yeah. make it, that don't ever get to. And it's again that system to, to have any success in it, any success, just to make it up there is a huge accomplishment that I think sometimes people don't realize just how difficult it actually truly is. Well, and and you mentioned earlier the the politics involved, and you know it's it's the order of life. I mean, professional wrestling has always been based on every man for himself. It, you're, you're an independent contract, yeah, uh, essentially, and that has never changed. Really, it's still that way. To this day, in a yep. sense, they may have some contracts, but still, you're you're an island, and so the competition is is fierce. And uh, you know, I've talked to other people who said that you know what I did in the ring was you know that wasn't that compared to what it was like behind that curtain, <laughs> what you dealt with yeah. every day. Uh, it, it it is it's fierce. No, it's uh, that that to me is, and I've had to let go of a lot. I've really worked on myself with a lot of this. Um, cause I, I love pro wrestling and I loved, I loved WWE more than anything. And I was very hurt by them because I had worked my entire life, um, to be in that top spot. And luckily I got to be in it and around it for, you know, pretty much a year. <clears throat> I have a lot of great memories with that. Yeah. And I, I've spoke very openly, you know, with my ankle injury and, 
you know, they fired me again um, after the Nexus when I broke my ankle. And, and I was extremely, Triple H was my hero growing up. And I've told him this. And because we've had some some heated conversations. And um, he, yeah, he got you on steroids. At the- yeah, yeah. And no, he was, <laughs> that, that alone was the reason why, and that's why I never want a kid to do them because of me. Um, yeah. And I'm very open and honest about what I've done and what I don't do when I've had all my success without him. And it's, Man, I look back, Hunter, during that period, told me after my ankle, and they, they sent me to a doctor that botched the surgery, and Ooh. I was never supposed to wrestle again. I'd had three surgeries really? on it. Yeah, and they fired me because they thought I was damaged goods. Yeah. Um, and Hunter told me, he goes, before they fired me, he goes, ah, we're going to have to pull the plug on you eventually. And I was actually correcting a lot of the mistakes that they made, and I had to stay on top of it. And it was a really, really, I didn't want to get anyone fired or in trouble. Some of the people that had made mistakes at the time and the whole thing. And I just remember that was my, that's when the anger started building up in me, Sean, towards the WWE, because this company that I'd had on a pedestal and I loved so much and was willing to just give everything for, that's the first, that was the first knife in the back. Uh, I had to get attorneys and, and fight to keep my job. And, and I have the documents from all that. And that forever, though, strained my relationship with them. And they couldn't fire me legally. They realized they had made a mistake. And I told John Laurinaitis at the time and, and that I go, I'm, one year from right now, I go, the day they tried to fire me, I go, I'm going to be the biggest star on the WWE roster. Mark my fucking words mm-hmm. was exactly what I told him. Yeah. And one year from that point, I was. And I was very proud of that. And But they, they'd used me in a way and gave me an opportunity to go out there and get over. But that was the beginning. How did you make the, that happen? What's that? How did you make that happen? I mean, here you, you like you said, you're, you were at a point where uh, they're telling you you may never wrestle again, and you, and you turn it around. How, how did you do this? That was the first time. So, Sean, like I said, I'm the nicest guy in the world. That was the first time I learned I had to, to stand up and be a man. Yeah. And to make it in pro wrestling, you have to learn when and where to be an asshole. And I say that, and you've heard Jerry no, I know. say it, but you got it. That was the first time my ego kicked in. And I said, God damn it, I deserve this because I bust my ass and I've worked for this. And this, I'm not going to let them fire me. I'm not going to have, I've already been fired. I've already been through that. I was I had nothing at the time. I had no money. And it put a chip on my shoulder. And that was actually, though, the fuel for Ryback that, that gave me even more aggression and intensity uh, because I was there to prove them, you're never going to treat me like this ever again. I was, it was, it was like being in a horrible relationship with somebody that you really loved and they just beat you over and over again. And they, with them, with me, you know, I've talked about it. They forced me to drop a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the doctor that, that botched my surgery. Mm. And that, that hurt me greatly, Sean, because the, the lawsuit had nothing to do with them. It was, I have nerve damage in my leg. I still deal with to this yeah. day that, that a lot of people don't know about because we never truly told that story of what happened to me because they didn't want to. And that was that really started the for me holding in anger and, and up until recently, and we'll talk about that I'm sure here later on, but I was holding in a lot of this anger of different things that happened to me and the the political side that you saw that happened with me, I always tell everybody, if my ankle situation never happened and um, all that never went the way that it did and with me having to get attorneys to fight to keep my job, I honestly believe that I would have been ha- the, the Roman Reigns spot because I always thought that it was there before all them, before they got there. And if you look back at that period, and that's no disrespect to Roman, that's just for my career on the way things worked out. They always forever held that against me and dangled the carrot because they knew how bad that ate away at me. And, but the politics are 
just a whole other story, but I've had to learn that everything that happened there for me was for my betterment as a human being and as a person and in letting go of that anger. Uh, and recently I really had to do some just self-reflecting and looking at everything and in working with this doctor I had on my show, I was holding in all this anger and I hadn't, I hadn't metabolized it properly. And I finally had to just let it all go. I had to let it out, get it out say how I felt exactly how I felt and that it just felt like a huge weight had been lifted off of me with some other things and changing my energy, how I was approaching some things. But that backstage element, man, anybody that does that job, I wish that's what I wish fans like when I grew up watching this, I loved everybody. I just always respected it. I wish today the the, the fans and I get people are critical and outspoken. I just wish they had a love and appreciation for the human beings that do this because they truly give everything they, they can to make this as good as possible. And there's a lot we don't like with the product and things that go on, but respect everyone that does this and, and just try to treat people good. Yeah. And they're, they're busted their ass. They're, yeah. They're, they're bodies, man. You know, I've, yeah. they give it up. They get, yeah, they sacrifice it. Everybody you look at, I man, that's why I did all these independents when I left and financially and starting my business with either feed me more nutrition in the podcast, I spent hundreds of thousands of my own money and I needed to, to I wanted that money that, cause that income was great for two years for me when I first left, even though I shouldn't have done it with my injuries against my doctor's wishes, but I got to see a lot of the old timers and they'd come up and, and hug me and, and thank me for speaking up on some of the things that I have. And I could just see they, they didn't have, they don't have anything and they're beaten up and they're broken and, it's men. People give their lives for this and sacrifice, you know, love and friendships and, you know, for the fans' entertainment. And, and sometimes I just wish, and a lot of fans do respect it a lot more, a lot more do than don't. But I, I just wish everyone did because it's truly, it takes a very special person to do this. Well, well, and you talk about whatever drove you during that period of time when you came back, and it, it, it was kind of planted the seeds that would eventually sour you on on being with them at all. But you found your greatest success during this time, and I, I I find it really interesting that here, you know, after all these years you've been at it, uh, that you won the you know, 2012 Slammy Awards right back, uh, you know, with you won three Slammy Awards and for newcomer of the year. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like newcomer of the like. What do you mean? Um, but really, though, just the, the you you found some of your greatest success during that period of time, and it, it was was it that deep seated anger that drove you and and to to reach those new heights? Yeah, and it, it really pushed me to become. And you know, when I was out the ankle injury, that was the first time I really got obsessed with watching tape. And because I had nothing else, I would do rehab. I was in a wheelchair; I couldn't walk, and I would have doctors telling me I was never going to wrestle because of all this nerve damage. I bought every WWE DVD I could find at the time, and I got all of them to this day. A huge, I mean, just just hundreds of them, and I started watching WWE matches just like just from morning to night whenever I had free time. And I started, that was the first time I started like stopping, like I was watching football film and in rewinding and watching a spot. And what would I do right there? What can I do? What three moves can I do, do in that position right there? And I started breaking things down differently and started storing away all this information. And then when the, the thing happened with, with, you know, them trying to fire me and I came back, I just had a different drive in me that I, I always had uh, this hard work ethic, but it, it made me obsessed that I was going to succeed at this no matter what. And it put a, an aggression and anger inside of me and a chip on my shoulder 
that truly did help drive me and, and become obsessed. And I had a lot of input early on. A lot of my matches with the locals, we, you know, was me coming up the spot with these guys. And I thought, you know, I'm wrestling these tiny guys. I got to make this look like a train wreck in order to really get over with this because people are going to, if this, I try to have regular wrestling matches with guys, I'm going to look like a bully. I'm going to, I'm not, I have to make this cool somehow. And we were able to, to capture that and double stacking guys and Hunter, you know, that was their idea on double stacking guys. And that, that really is what really got me over. It was picking up two guys at a time. And we did that night in and night out twice a week for months. And it was, again, I say this, it was a great lesson too. And I'd learned this through some of the books that I'd learned that in order to succeed at life at a high level, you sometimes you have to take, you have to take chances and you want to take calculated risk. You always want to take calculated risk, but you got to put yourself out there. If you, if you really want to get over in pro wrestling, you got to take some chances and, for me, it was double stacking those guys every night because I was so new. If I would have failed at that at all at that period, I would have been over probably. I would have been, I mean, would have been done yeah. because fans sour on you really quickly. And so I was put under these high pressure situations early on with not WWE talent, mind you, with guys working their first time on TV. Yeah. I'm new at the time. So it was, we, you know, man, we hit home run after home run though on those and it paid off eventually at the end. But it great success that first year. And I always thank those local guys I worked with. I, I spend all day with them. I'd eat with them and uh, I wanted to get to know them and I wanted them to feel comfortable with me. And a lot of them, I, they still message me to this day. And we talk about how cool that whole period was. And, you know, I relied on those guys heavily to uh, early on in that period. What, what sacrifice though to your body? Because I know, you know, watching some of the stuff you did, it, it yeah. you took, you took most of the the brunt of these, uh, you know, uh, these impacts, and uh, I know you paid for it, have paid for it later with your back. But at the yeah. time, uh, was it must have been taking an incredible toll. And night after, you know, folks, it isn't something that's happening once a week on Raw. Uh, uh, or you know, this five is, nights a week. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what kind of a damage were you doing? It was. It, it did a lot, and I always tell people, and it, you know, you got to respect the different styles of pro wrestling. But the one style you actually don't see, especially in today's wrestling, is the power style. And even if you look at guys like Braun and Bobby Lashley, they they don't do a, a lot of ridiculous power things. They're just they're big, big, bad, strong dudes. I was doing gorilla presses every night, gorilla pressing Kane things, um, picking up, you know, these two guys early on. I, I ended up having to work, you know, like Mark Henry and Big Show a lot on live events because it was an attraction match of uh, picking yeah. those guys up. Uh, those guys are much larger than me, though, and I'm bumping even more. And the bumps never were ever the thing. It was picking guys up and doing a, the backpack stunner with the guy on my back, and I was taking the the ass bump, yeah. which – I, didn't, and I was told early on by William Regal, he goes, he told me to switch my finisher when I was Skip Sheffield, which I did when I came back as Ryback. I came back with the shell shock uh, to save my back. But I started doing that backpack stunner on live events. And it's like you said, I didn't think about it. You don't think about it at the time. Yeah. You're doing this move four or five nights a week and or even three nights a week. And you're like, oh, I feel fine. And, you know, you're just going, you're running on adrenaline. But eventually, my last like two years there, I started getting tremendous back pain where I was having trouble waking up out of the getting out of the beds. And then it would go away as the day went on. And you get to the building and my last two years, you know, they were really they were pumping me full of Toradol and, and cortisone. And I was told I would be OK. And again, I have to take the blame. I did it. I allowed it. 
the cortisone though ate away all the cartilage in my shoulder and I got the shoulder of an old man and the back uh, it covered up all my pain. And so I'm doing these feats of strength and you know, that was, I chose to do these feats of strength and the backpack stunner was ultimately what really caused this and, yeah. and everything you could say, picking up the heavy guys, all that didn't help at the time wow. and the weight training. And I had five discs that my L one, two, three, four and five, that I caught just in time when I eventually left, and we could talk about that. But I, luckily, with stem cells, I've had 11 stem cell procedures. They've regrown all my disc in my back. I'm completely pain-free for the first time in five years. I'm just now um, a company. They're flying me to Columbia for my shoulder. They're giving me free stem cell treatment with umbilical cord stem cells. They're going to do my, my shoulder. They're going to give me one more round in my back just for good measure. And they're going to try to get my nerve function back in my leg that I lost my big toe function on. With the ankle surgery, they think they could fix that, which if I can regain the a little bit of the strength of my ankle that I lost during that period will be really exciting for me because I kind of gave up on that after a while. But it's uh, the damage, man, that people go through there. But being a power wrestler is the, the probably the hardest on your body because it's the one thing you can't fake. You can't or you can't you're picking up those guys. There's no way to gorilla press cane and not have it wreak havoc on your shoulders night after night, you know, things of that nature. And, um, so yeah, it did, it, it did its damage to me. And, uh, I've learned what moves not to do anymore that if I have the opportunity, cause it looks like I'm going to have the opportunity to go back by the end of the year, or early next year. And, uh, which I thought I, even as much as I thought I would go back or go be able to go back deep down, I didn't know because of the back pain. And finally everything kind of with a, some other things and shifting my energy and, whatnot, everything just disappeared, and uh, I'm in a really good place right now. Well, I really want to get into that because, uh, like, really? But uh, before we do, you mentioned mentors, and you and you talk about Chris Jericho, who, who seemed like somebody who was a solid mentor to you throughout your career. Absolutely. He, uh, Chris, so, and I've talked about, and I've been very open, and then I got thrown into the main event because Cena got hurt, and, and there's politics, and there's a lot of things, a lot of money at play with all this. Two guys I've <clears throat> not gotten along with professionally in my entire wrestling career were the two top guys in WWE, CM Punk and John Cena, when I was there. And as you know, when you're at that level and there's a lot of money on the line, it's people do things and act a certain way. I've always just kind of been straight up. I tell it like it is. I don't put up with bullshit. I believe you run with whatever's hot. I think, I think that's part of being a good top guy is acknowledging other guys that are hotter than you and doing good business. But there were a lot of things at play and everything, like I said, happened for my in my favor for my betterment from a human being standpoint and drove me. But Chris actually wanted the match with me. He wanted the match with me at WrestleMania to give me a big moment because he knew that if I had a big moment at WrestleMania, it could help make me a bigger star. Mm-hmm. And I'll forever be grateful for Chris for that because he saw what was going on. And he talked very openly but during that period that he'd WWE had lightning in a bottle with me with everything we had going on and it was it was really tough for me to to go through that and and but again forever thankful for that opportunity and I learned a lot working with Cena and working with Punk and I'll never talk bad about those guys in the ring nothing but respect for them in the ring backstage different story on different things and I've I've talked about that and it is it's over with and I wish them nothing but the best but Chris really that to me just told me what kind of human being Chris is because he's as big of a star as anybody. And he wanted to give, he knew that we had something that to me tells me Chris loves pro wrestling 
because Chris saw that there was a guy that could be used in a top spot for probably years to come. And he wanted to give me that big, you need those big WrestleMania moments to get to the next level. And for me, I never had that. And it sucks, but it, it is what it is. And just got to be grateful for it. Instead, they pushed, they gave him a match with, I think, Fandango. And they gave me the match with Mark Henry, which uh, my expectation was going into that because I knew I was turning heel the following night on Cena and going on to the championship. So I thought all along that was to build me up as this monster and have me turn the following night on Cena. And it was a believable story that I was going to take his title. Instead, they had me fall on my face. And I was told that a couple days before. And I tried to fight it with Vince. And he just said, he goes, no, I want you to do this. This is final. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to be embarrassed. Your big WrestleMania moment, you failed. And that's going to be the reason for your heel turn the following night. So in my head at the time, I'm like, well, you know, maybe they're going to put the title on me with Cena possibly and get it back then. And then it all will, you know, it all makes sense. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And instead it was, you know, had, you know, two great pay-per-view matches with John and great. Like I said, me and John always got along professionally in the ring and worked well together in the ring. I enjoyed our matches a lot and learned a lot about listening, working with John. But then I finally got that Chris matchup after that. And it was kind of bittersweet at that point because the damage had kind of been done and kind of, uh, I'd had, I think seven or eight major straight pay-per-view losses while working on top. And you look back and you just scratch your head and I just tell everybody, just look at the ankle situation. You kind of can see how the way things played out, but all Chris man was the one guy, the one true top guy that really went to bat for me. And, and we had great matches. I loved working with Chris and he helped me a lot with, you know, going on his podcast when, after punk had made a lot of uh, negative comments that, that weren't true. And, and Chris came out and defended me and allowed gave me a platform on his podcast that helped helped with a lot of fans just get to see the real side of me, the human side and whatnot. So all forever, just just Chris is the man to me for just being a, just a, a true, just a good human being, man. Just a good human being. But, you know, you talk about that, that uh, Cena early on, he, he seemed that, that he was uh, close to, had uh, tried to help you along and uh, had took, uh, taken time to uh, help you. But what was it that that really uh, turned? Was there was it a specific event, or is it just as you got bigger that that relationship changed? Yeah. So here, and this is and this is just telling you honestly. So a WWE security guard actually moved about two minutes down the road for me when I got into WWE as Ryback and started going. <clears throat> who worked very closely with Vince. He's since since when I got when I left, he got fired shortly after I left. So make of that what you will. Weird scenario of everywhere for him to move in the United States. He moves two minutes down the road from me. But he ended up, he was one of Vince's main security guards. Um, and he had ended up telling me he would have to walk John back to his bus every night. We were tagging at the time. Me and John were doing tag matches uh, with Sheamus against the Shield and working on some other things uh, in the main event. And everything, I always got along with John. Uh, yeah, we had I've a never great heard relationship. Um, but so what would happen is, and we would start, whoever the crowd was cheering for with all of us is who would start the match. Cause we would do a lot of this on the fly, except for the finish, the go home and all that for these live event matches. And at the time, Cena was extremely popular. The, the let's go Cena, Cena sucks chance. If they were chanting that John would, would start the match. If they were chanting feed me more, I would start. Well, they were chanting feed me more every night. And I would start the match every night. And that, and that was just, that was the truth of the situation. 
the, the security guard had actually pulled me aside. He goes, I had a good relationship with him. He goes, just so you know, be careful. He goes, John's not too thrilled with your reactions. In which to me, that was the first, I go, what? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, just be careful. He goes, he's not happy about it. I don't know what I'm supposed, what am I supposed to do? I'm just going out there doing my job. And uh, we'd had an incident one night where the crowd went from chanting, feed me more to they switched for the first time to let's go Cena, Cena sucks. So the bell had rung. We're getting ready to lock up me and one of the guys from the shield. John dives in the ring. Sean, no joke. He's telling me to get the F out, get the F out, get the F out. I, I look at, it, I go, what are you talking about? And he, John just threw his hands down in a fit, got out of the ring wouldn't tag in for the entire match. We do the whole match without him. Uh, me and Seamus, we get to the back afterwards in which he's there and he he calls uh, Seamus over and I'm back there already. And he, and he goes, what the F was that out there? I go, what was what? He goes, they started chanting for me, get the, get the F out of the ring. And uh, I go, John, the bell had rung. We were getting ready to lock up. I go, I can't just go diving out of the ring because you dive in and want to start. And he goes, do you understand I could effing ruin you here? I have all the power here. I could ruin your career. Do you understand that? And that was right then, Sean, my entire tone changed with him. I just go, you know what? I would never talk to another person like this, let alone somebody who's going out there. Like I, I had done nothing wrong. And we right then we started button heads because I won't put up with any bullshit. That's just straight up like just as a man, if somebody disrespects me or anything of that nature, had I been, had I been wrong and done something wrong, I would have been more than willing to apologize. And, and I, it was just one of those deals. And a lot of money was on the line. I was out selling him merchandise on some on some nights and he had he had twice the merchandise I had. And they wouldn't make any more merch for me. And that's when all the kind of the political stuff started. And I don't blame John. I talk about it with my ankle, but I don't, none of that helped. And, and if just that's the name of the game. You come in and people, he, they, him and Punk kind of operated a little differently about things. But when guys come in and, and start affecting your money, it, it's some guys don't like that. Yeah, well, it's a, it is. There's a lot of personalities involved in there, and, and that doesn't so, mean he's not a great guy either. Right, like and, I said, and I know, and I've I've never heard you know different, and uh, you know because I certainly I'm not backstage. I don't know, yeah. but there's a, a lot of different relationships that go on in there. You met a lot a lot of great people on the yeah, way, absolutely. but in the end, though, it it was it, you decided it was time to go. And what was really the 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 final uh, I guess straw or the, or the situation where you said I, I'm I'm done here. Yeah, so this ties back into the Intercontinental Championship. By contract, they'd actually offered me a new contract, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was it was a the the money was very little more than what I was making downside. And I'd already figured out that you you want a higher downside, so they pay you more on your live events, and your weekly pay goes up tremendously. But if they use you well, usually you out earn that downside significantly. But if you are on a low downside, you give them the option and the power to use you worse, which I learned. So I began, I go, I I wanted a certain level of money based off of how much I was making them and knowing how much I was making them because I knew it would hold them accountable with everything that had happened with me to maybe use me a little better. So that's when they put, they'll, they'll do this regularly too. That's when they put the title on me was to get, because often guys, what will happen is they'll give guys a contract. If they want you to resign, they'll book you really well to kind of trick you into signing the contract. 
under their terms. And I'd already kind of figured out the way how the things operated and, you know, they're a business that's, you know, that's the way they operate. But anyways, we'd started kind of going back and forth on different things back then and with the contracts. And I, I was really hurt and I was, I didn't know how hurt, but I was already back and shoulder. I was going day to day already at that point. The, the, the thing that I had conversations with Hunter and Vince over creatively of them not following through on different things. And I had a thing like there was a, a match over in England where they did a tournament for the a va- the vacant heavyweight championship. And it was me and Kalisto, the opening round. And I remember it was over in England. Vince was, wasn't there. Hunter was there. And they wanted Kalisto to go over on me. And I go, OK, no problem. I go, are we what are we doing with Kalisto? And because as a brand, you got to be able to, because what they'll do is they'll beat guys and then they won't do anything with the other guys. And then it just, it ends up just kind of lowering everyone's value, which is what we've seen Mm -hmm. up there over time. And I became very protective over that after a while, realizing the way things kind of operated. And they said, they said, well, the goal is we want to make Kalisto the next Rey Mysterio. I go, all right, I'm on board with this. Let's do it. Is he winning the tournament? And then it was, no, he's losing the following week. And I go, so why is he beating me then? I said to me, there's just no game plan with anything on any of this. And so that's when I, I, I kind of started having conversations with creative with them. I said, you guys just lower my value over time doing this kind of things. And I go, I have no problem. I put guys over many times. I yeah. said, but let's make it mean something and make some stars out of this. And uh, they, they run their business how they want to run it. But the, the ultimate point came with me. I had a conversation with Mark Carano. I said, Mark, I would like to let my contract run out. I don't want to resign right now. I said, I want to, I want to give my body a little break. And I didn't want to tell them how hurt I was, even though the doctors knew working with me, they, they keep you just week to week. And that's just the way the system is there. I said, you know, I'd like to let my contract run out. I want to do this nutrition thing. I want to write a book. I just want, I need, you know, it's been about five years straight. I just want a little break and I don't want to, I don't want to sign anything right now. And I already had those experiences with everything else with, you know, everything that we talked about and, the, he told me straight up, he goes, he goes, well, you know how it's going to work out. Uh, you know, if you do that, he goes, we're going to job you out. We're going to pull you off TV and we're going to fire you, Ryan. Right then and there, Sean, it might just, it just, I just, I just said, I'm not, that's not happening to me. And I just, I, it made me the anger. Like I talked about that anger of different situations just kept building and building and building and building and building. And I never mm-hmm. fully processed it. And I got a lot of fans you know, with telling me I was a failure in the main event scene. And no, I wasn't. I was a huge success. I went and played my role every night that I knew I was supposed to go out and play beforehand and whatnot. I had no control over a lot of different things over there, but that anger built up. And finally, I, uh, Vince had on a handshake deal promised me that if I re-signed their new contract uh, for a lot of money, that I would have a run as the, the champion and everything was going to be great. And I honestly believe if I would have signed that contract, I believe that that would have happened at that point, but I would have had to sign over, feed me more of the big guy, everything with the Ryback trademark. I would have ended up losing that, which meant a lot to me because I created all that when I was poor and had nothing away from the company, Mm -hmm. which is something it just, it means a lot to me. Um, But I didn't sign the contract. And so then Vince, they, then the heavyweight, the championship run, when I turned heel, went to trunks and turned heel, turned into the United States title. And the reasoning for that. Is like Vince. That's kind of like they they poke you. They're like you don't want to fight back. This is we're gonna it's just gonna get worse. And yeah. it went for the U.S. title with Kalisto. And then I assumed if I would have signed the contract right then, that I would have went over. We then I didn't sign the contract, so the match got pulled off WrestleMania from the main card 
put on the pre-show as a way to kind of send me a message. And that's just the way they they operate. And it is what it is. Had no problem. I go, no, I'm going to put Kalisto over. No problem. I've already done it before. Not a big deal. We do that. The following, we do another. They, they delayed it a little longer. They go, oh, we'll give you another chance. Sign the contract. Go on to payback. Same deal. No buildup or anything. They kind of kept me off TV during that period. If you kind of look back, they didn't. It was to kind of send me a message and didn't sign the contract. And then again, put me on the pre-show in Chicago. Uh, do the honors with Kalisto. One of my one of my favorite matches with him actually, and uh, we'd had some killer live event matches, but that match got great feedback from everyone. And right then and there, I kind of knew. I go, oh, this might be my last match here. And uh, I drove to St. Louis, got to St. Louis. I saw the card on the wall, and they were going to start downgrading me pretty hard right then, and uh, and kind of embarrassing me a little bit, and everything that they said. And I just go, you know what? I got a lot of value to my name still. I'm going to end up being able to keep everything. I'm really hurt. I need some time off. I'm just going to go home. And I told uh, Mark, I go, go ahead and uh, take me off this effing TV show. I'm going home. In which kind of there was a little bit of a, a panic set in. And he eventually goes, please don't leave. He goes, let me go talk to them. And he goes and talks to Vince or Hunter. And he goes, well, would you like to go talk to Vince here? And I said, I never want to never want to talk to him ever again. I was just I. Sean's so hurt. I had to get away. And something in, inside of me instinctually just told me, just get out. Just leave. Don't talk to anybody. Don't let them trick you. You've already just get out. And I just got my bags. And one of the regrets I do have is I didn't say goodbye to the talent because I needed to get out of there. I didn't want I didn't want any more conversations with Vince. I was just everything. I've just been hurt too much. And I gave them everything to it. It's just it, it was just a bad breakup. And I needed to leave. And I, uh, I walked out and they, they tried to stop my pay actually a couple weeks after I left. And I already knew they were going to try that. So I had an ear that I'd had a busted eardrum my entire career from my first year in deep South wrestling. And I had a broken nose. I could never breathe through my nose, my entire WWE career. And so I went on injury pay and got my ear and nose fixed for the remaining like five or six months of my contract, uh, until my contract expired on August 8th. And that was it. Yeah, and they texted me when it ended. They thank you for everything. And they said, they said, don't, they go, the thing I was told when I was there, my last day, don't say anything bad about the company and you know you can come back. And I said, and Sean, my exact words, I said, I'm going to tell the exact truth about the company and I'm still going to come back. And I honestly, because I know how over I was at one point, I know how over I can be, and I know how how good going away can be. And I honestly believe that. But I've, I've learned a lot in that time, and I've let go of a lot of the anger and the re- that I kind of and the resentment that I did have. And it, it all made me a better person at the end of the day. But it hurt, man, to be it really you, when you love something and, and it hurts you over and over again. It's it's not a good feeling, but it tonight gave me an opportunity to grow as a human being. So I am thankful for that. Yeah, but it, it's. Uh... You did it on your terms, in a sense. I mean, somehow you you didn't know that you're not supposed to win when you do that. But uh, you leaving, and uh, pretty much, I mean, your body is broken. Uh, you did some independent work, which I can't believe that you did. Yeah. Uh, but you know, how bad of, of shape were you in when you left? As far like your back and your shoulder and everything else. That was the hardest period of my life here, and I so. 
I thought my back and shoulder were going to get better. And when you're a wrestler, and I've talked about this, you don't go get MRIs because you're kind of scared to know what's wrong with you. (laughs) But I tell everyone, I go, because this all falls on us. I've had to spend a lot of money to try to – I've earned a lot of wealth to try to get back my health. And uh, when I left – uh, and like I always tell people, you know, Cody left and did such a great thing. And his reasons for leaving were entirely different than mine. And I didn't want to leave. I, I had no choice. Something inside. I just I I knew my body was shutting down. And when I left, I didn't do any bookings there until after the contract ran up and on August 8th. And my back and shoulder were worse than ever. It was Sean. Once the adrenaline left and then they weren't giving me the Toradol and the cortisone anymore. It, like I turned into an 85 year old man and where it was, you wouldn't look at me and necessarily know. And that was one of the, the disconnects. I was telling people how hurt I was, but I think you look at me, Oh, you look fine. You look pretty much the same. And I was, it was, it was the toughest time of my life because like I said, it was really scary for me because up until that point, I've been with WWE essentially my entire adult career and have earned a living from WWE, which I'm forever thankful for. I then had to then worry. I, I knew that I had a lot of money, and I, I probably made as much as anyone those first two years. It was it was it was amazing working limited dates, and you know coming out of working some weekends making twenty thousand dollars. It was it, things like that, way more than I was making even at WWE at points. And it was starting that business. I knew I, I'm of the thing. I didn't. I never like to to spend my savings. I've always tried to always kind of. I don't want to, I didn't want to be in that lazy mindset. I wanted to continue earning money and I knew it was going to be great for about two years leaving. Mm-hmm. And I told I'd spend all this money on the supplements and everything to get that all going until I needed to buy myself time to give that an opportunity to start making me income. And, and eventually it has, and it's gone great. But I, that first two years against my doctor's wishes, I went and I wrestled even though, and I went hard on some of them and I paid the price and, I, like I said, I've had 11 stem cell treatments and they told me I needed a five disc fusion and a shoulder replacement. And that if I would have stayed, so if I would have stayed at WWE, probably anywhere from three to six more months, my disc in my back would have probably been degenerated to the point where they wouldn't have been able to be regrown, been regrown. So that inside, whatever told me to leave that day, like I said, it was a blessing in disguise because we caught this just in time. And they've been, like we said the last time, my back pain's completely gone. They've regrown my L1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And, I, and Sean, I had to shut down for people to understand. I had to shut down. I was, I'm ultra competitive. And, and I've learned to compete from within and, and not to, to do things because I want to do them to make me happy, to find true happiness. But if I'm put in a competitive environment, I really, really, I love it. I thrive on it. It makes me, I just, I, I love competition. I had to shut down when I left and it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And luckily I have my business and podcasts and things to, in my investments to keep me focused mentally, but I had to shut down. I had to stop my, my boxing, my jujitsu. And eventually I had to stop wrestling because if I didn't, I was, I was never going to be able to do this again. And luckily with all of this and just being patient and just riding it out and doing my rehab every day and doing these stem cell procedures, I'm going to have another opportunity to come back and do this right. And I truly believe I'm going to be higher than I ever was when I was there because I think that I, I just feel like the perfect storm is brewing, but for it and the feedback from fans and um, I've learned a valuable lesson in all of this is in my, a lot of, when I left WWE, 
there, a lot of hate came out on me and a lot of negative things started coming out and where that came from was whether it was from WWE or not, I'll never know. Um, I had to get an attorney to take down a lot of articles. It was things saying how big of a, an asshole I was, how I'm, how I'm disrespectful and mean to mean to the fans when I'm routinely told I'm the best they've ever had for meet and greets. And I treat all people kind and with respect. And these things started coming out and it hurt me. And I started holding on to even more anger, Sean, and more anger and more anger and more anger. And what happened, I made a very, really, really big mistake in all of this is I shut out everybody because I didn't know what to do. And I did my podcast and I was doing everything here, but I wasn't talking. I turned my back essentially on all the people that love me. And I wasn't communicating with my fans on social media. And up until recently, this book, uh, The Energy Codes, shows up in my P.O. box randomly. Uh, no, I, to this day, I don't know who sent it. But the author, I read this book, and I it was just like the secret had impacted me many years ago. This book is just way deeper. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was harnessing all this negative energy, even though I was thinking positive. It wasn't working anymore because I hadn't metabolized all this negative stuff that had happened to me. And I was holding all this resentment and anger inside of me. And I just shifted my energy. Like I said, and all this weight, I let go of everything with WWE. I just let go of it all. I just, I got it all out and I let it, I just, and all this stuff started changing for me. And like within the last month, I've had more good. The last month happened to me than the last three years, essentially with all this. And I go do the Chris Van Vliet show, this interview with Chris, great guy. And the feedback from fans, the fans didn't know my story fully. A lot of them had just read the dirt sheets and all these negative things and formed these hateful opinions on me. And I just dealt with it and I just held it all in. And I knew it wasn't true, but I made the mistake of not talking to my fans and not doing a lot of interviews because I was, I was hurt ultimately. And I was like, well, the hell with people, people suck. No, people don't suck. And I should have probably handled it a little differently. And any going on that Chris Van Vliet show and just telling my story, Everybody, I get hundreds of messages now of people saying apologizing for hating me for these things and saying bad things, and it's it's been it's allowed me a way I use social media now. Yeah, and well, I tell I people the greatest realize, thing ever. Yeah, but I think you realize now that that negative part of it is a, such a small percentage. Yeah, and but that's what we listen to. You know, you're like, oh, so one person, you know, you have thousands of ratings or whatever, and the one you look at is the you know the the one guy who says. Uh, terrible interviewer. You're like, well, what? But yeah. and it's just such a small percent. But that's what you listen to instead of listening. Because you say you weren't talking to these fans. No, you weren't listening to yeah. the ones that that loved you and, and that and, wasn't interacting. So I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that it's happened. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about though. You you mentioned the stem cells. You kind of brush over this, but you're like a medical marvel. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, really, you're saying that your uh, discs have been regenerated. Uh, that's yeah. incredible. We, we live in amazing times, Sean, and it's um, I, I, I honestly have just a sense of gratitude in me at a deeper level now, because and I sympathize with anybody that had back pain, and I've met some top people, some other people that they've helped working with me. They're working with my back and shoulder to on a muscular standpoint, just to and they've helped my back. Like I said, I have no more pain. Um, I thought I was done, and it was if this didn't exist. The option was five disc fusion and probably be on pain medication for the rest of my life. And I never would have wrestled again. Um, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have always kind of be protected in a way in my life. And for whatever reason that that is. And I feel I have a better understanding of this now that I do have a great responsibility with people because 
like I said, focusing on the good and people do trying to motivate people and inspire people because I have been blessed to, to have this life. And it's up to me to use it responsibly um, and try to help as many people as humanly possible. Um, but the doctor, I, I hugged him, man, when uh, and I just said thank you because this was over. And not even just wrestling-wise, life, quality of life. And I sit here now. I just got back from the gym. I'm doing back to squatting and deadlifting and doing all the old things that I didn't think I was ever going to get to do again. And uh, it, it was very, really unhappy and just trying. I never gave up, though. Never gave up, Sean. Every day, just yeah. literally just kept plugging away. And and I've been able to find the myself to this new level. And the, the stuff, I've had 11 procedures. The doctor said he's never heard of anyone that's had this many. And I'm going to go have 12, 13, and 14 here in Columbia here by the end of June, hopefully. So it's people, I tell it's surgery is not always the best option, especially with backs. Because once you do that, there's no going back. When, once you get a disc fused or anything of that nature. So we live in great times and the, the medical advancements that they're making, I am forever, forever truly grateful for and all of that. And I wish they actually do one more thing. My dog, I tell people, it's crazy how dogs take on their owners. My dog, Sophie, a little three and a half year old French bulldog, she's broken her back four times since last January of 2018, which I had, that actually was what forced me to stop taking bookings. Uh, even more so because I wasn't able to leave. I had to stay and take care of her because she suffered full paralysis. And I have another dog in where I have to keep them in crates and take care of them from morning to night. It, I'm hoping they can, the stem cells, they don't, they haven't started doing it in dogs yet. So I'm hoping eventually they can, cause she has disc disease. She has three more that are prone to going. So that's been kind of rough with that, but the stem cells in humans, I, I can't imagine where we're going to be in the next five to yeah. 10 years. Well, and, and, uh, you're still a dog lover. That's awesome. But uh, with that, I mean, here you're getting your health back. You, you're basically being handed your body uh, back as uh, new. And why would you want to step back in the ring? Is it, is it just unfinished business and, and take a chance? at? Uh, yeah, know, I love it in unfinished again. business. And I think to me, uh, if you ever, if you watch it on my Instagram, I do this every day almost. When I started, when I changed my whole approach, I started doing Instagram lives where I go face to face and talk to my fans to show everyone how many good fans there are. Because I already knew this from my interactions with people every day and that there aren't that many bad people out there. And to see the excitement and the one thing I Sean DMs and I get fan mail to my PO box, it's from people telling me how much I meant to them and that they want... I think as much as it means to me, I, I can see how much it means to a lot of other people that they never got any answers and I just disappeared essentially. And, and I have a tremendous fan base worldwide, um, but love and, and unfinished business that for me, I know what hurt me and I know how to avoid it now. And a lot of lessons and like injuries have always been a way for me in my life to grow as a human being uh, mentally, spiritually, and this has been no different. This has been the toughest one of all of them, the most extreme of all of them. And I, I feel like I've been blessed giving a new body again. Um, yeah. And I need to do good with it. So, Well, folks, uh, stay tuned because uh, Ryback is not done yet. He's got the Feed Me More Supplements Company. I'm glad you've got a good backup plan. And, and it's, uh, this has been going great. And uh, you've got Feed Me More Apparel, which is awesome, the, the merch you have. Uh, besides the uh, feed me more tea, I, I, I especially like the one. Don't bother me when I'm working out. <laughs> people, 
But and also the podcast conversation with the big guy Ryback right podcast. So, Ryback, right it has been awesome. I, I hope we can do this again sometime. I hope I see you down the road. Uh, I, I, I imagine I will. But uh, really, thanks for taking the time and coming on Primetime. No, absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure. And I just do I do want to say to everyone for Feed Me More Nutrition, it's available on feedmemore.com and Amazon. And if you could follow me on YouTube, youtube.com slash feedmemore channel for Ryback TV. We got a lot of great content with the podcast going out on that. And Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hopefully we do get to meet here uh, sometime soon. All right, man. Lots of positive energy coming your way. You're going to be hearing from a, a lot more folks now, too. Thanks, Ryback. Thank you. Thank you.